0: Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegaard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today's guest, a bloke just about to pull the pin on a remarkable career across that broad spectrum we sometimes call agribusiness. Chris Todd is the retiring general manager of the Santa Gertrudis Breeders Society. Chris, welcome. You are on the grill. Thank you, Kerry, and, and thank you to Be Central. Chris, So uh, we'll get to your Santa career shortly, but I have to admit we have a lot of ground, a lot of interesting gigs you've had we need to talk about first. So let's start. Your family were in Papua New Guinea, and you were born in PNG. Yeah. In fact, what sort of uh, early upbringing did that involve?
1: Well, Dad was a doctor. We... we, we well, I wasn't born at that stage when they moved to New Guinea in 19, at the end of 1957. Um, my older brother was born in Brisbane before mum and dad went up there and dad uh, was working at the local Port Moresby hospital as an anesthetist and uh, medical doctor and um, I was born in Port Moresby then. Um, we, we moved to Lay where dad uh, had a private practice plus also worked for the, the hospital. There was an unbelievable life, I must admit, and... Um, well before independence in '75, and uh, yeah, I, I've, I've got to say I've got very fond memories of living in Papua New Guinea, and especially Lay. I was, you know, too young to remember Port Moresby, but Lay was exciting for children growing up there. And back
0: in and back to Australia for a high school, I assume.
1: Back to high school, um, Dad. Uh, we, we, there's five children, there and three girls were born in Lay, or three sisters. And um, Dad worked out and in boarding fees, and had been away from Australia since '57. That decided to move back to um, Australia, Brisbane. In um, 1971, so we came back and uh, attended you know, uh, private schools. All five us. So back in high school,
0: for, and you at that time, you in fact wanted to be a vet. Is that right?
1: I did. I was so especially working for cattle, and um, had a lot to do on weekends when I was up back in Lay, up at NABZAB, and through there, and I go to working on farms with, with the Murrays, and as in the Murray, as in. Uh, Peter Murray, who ran a, ran a cattle operation up there on the Markham River. But, yeah, I've always had an interest in cattle and wanted to be a vet. And I, um, unfortunately, didn't get a high enough TE score. And, uh, yeah, I applied to go to Gatton and um, sort of partied the Gold Coast. And someone said something about being a soccer station agent. And I said, what are that, what's that all about? <laughs> it's been really long. Long story short, I had a wonderful career as a stock and station agent.
0: You had, you had a bit of a career at Gatton College there, didn't you? I mean, that's been a signature start for a lot of agribusiness uh, careers.
1: Well, I never made it there because that was a thing. I mean, yeah. I'd enrolled and been accepted, but uh-huh. um, I've got a, a lot of mates that actually did get to get, get to go to Gatton. and had an absolute wonderful time. And it, you know, a lot of people gone on and done very well that, that attended the Gatton College. Yeah,
0: it's it's party
1: town, I'm told. So the rumour goes.
0: Now you ended up starting as a stock and station agent with Del Geddes and your first boss was uh, quite a famous name.
1: Yes, Stan Wallace. Um, I started in the mail room and uh, got a lucky break to get into the livestock department, working out at Cannon Hill under Stan Wallace and Keith McRoberts. And um, yeah, it was uh, they were bloody great days. Um, yeah, at that stage, you know, Cannon Hill was the, the main centre where cattle were sold in Queensland, as they were at Homebush and and uh, in, in, the, in the southern states. Yeah, so, you know, we used to sell about 40 odd thousand cattle a year through Cannon Hill, through Dalgetty's. That's a lot of then. cattle,
0: 40,000. Heaven's, you, so you were the penciler at Cannon Hill at, at that stage. I was
1: the, uh, I was the penciller. Um, oh. and, uh, they were just doing the prices through to the branches that sent cattle through to, to Cannon Hill and, um, yeah, learned a lot from Mister Wallace and Mister McRoberts. Mister Wallace, Stan knows, or it knows everybody.
0: So I guess there's a lot of learning, and I I would think a lot of listening and socialising at that time.
1: Well, it was it was it was, a, it, was a, it was an amazing time, and I must admit, when I first joined at seventeen, Stan said to me, "Where do you live?" And I said, oh, "On the western side suburbs at that stage." And he said, "Well, I did too. Here's my car. You you can use it. Just pick me up. Make sure you look after me, Make sure you get me home." So it was. Um, you know at seventeen to get a brand new xB Falcon three on the three on the shift it was very good <laughs> wow That's, that is an incentive to stay there you were in fact there
0: quite a long time sixteen to seventeen years or something at dalgetty's
1: yeah I had sixteen years at Dallas and uh, you know transferred to the bush and as a young stock salesman and did merchandise sales and worked my way up to um, branch manager and I was in charleville uh, when I realized that schooling wasn't there for our children going on to grade twelve so I asked for transfer to a Town where we had grade 12 and up, they had senior school, and um, at that stage there was nothing available. So I made the decision to leave Dalles in 1992 and join Primac in Rockhampton as their branch manager.
0: Yeah, you're the livestock manager there for a while as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then you moved on, you joined uh, CPC, working with the great Ken Warrener and the big boss, um, taking a very strong interest Mr. Pack, and everybody calls him Mr. Pack, I assume that's what, how you
1: addressed him. <laughs> I did call him Mr. Packer. I mean, he was, you know, it was an odd meeting the man. He was amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I was very fortunate to uh, get a position within Consolidated Meat Group um, as their livestock procurement uh, manager, where we had to find 18,000 cattle a week for the three plants, Rockhampton, Lakes Creek, at uh, Innisfail, and Catherine.
0: Before I go on with uh, more big names have you've worked with and around, what was your view then of agribusiness uh, after all those experiences and what were the guiding management principles you could always take from one place to another?
1: I think the biggest thing is if you said you're going to do it, do it. And, I mean, it's very simple. Um, You make a promise, you make sure you deliver it and you also uh, treat people properly, you know, in that regard. And, uh, yeah, because, I mean, if you're running a business where it's dealing with other people, you got to treat them properly and, um, you know, with respect and uh, and give them good service. And, I mean, that that always flows back. And I think that, um, I don't know, philosophy in life that treat people the way you want to be treated and, um, yeah, you usually get on.
0: Yeah, that's not a secret, is it? But it's something that no. uh, you don't see everywhere, but it's certainly a principle to subscribe to. Now, then you worked with Charlie Mort. Was that pre-Grassdale?
1: Yes, it was. I, was uh, I started as Charlie's as his first general manager. um and um, it was prior to buying um yep. grassdale, sorry. And um, it, it was it was a starter there and at that stage when we first started Charlie was, you know, feeding his cattle in other people's feedlots, so he was didn't actually own any and he made a decision to get in there and you know, once he had done that and purchased his own feedlots, um, he was committed. And, so were you involved so,
0: in the early stages of grassdale at all?
1: Yeah, and I was there when they first started, um, and I did leave just before he started building. But uh, it was bought on the premise to to build that and and utilise the land around it to grow crops for the feedlot.
0: That must be, just looking back, that's probably one of the most logistical, difficult exercises to undertake. 70,000 head of cattle, and and you've got to do all the stuff to keep that business going. It's it's an extraordinary feat, isn't it, Grasdale?
1: It, it is. I mean, it's a. It's you know. I mean, but Charlie. I'll give him something. I mean, he, he's the most honest man I've ever had to work with. And um, you know, he went in there with a the vision. He he was the a feedlot manager of a Primac. Primac had a, a feedlot. Primac feedlot services and um, and Primac Elders uh, came together and then uh, it was decided at management that that you know, we wouldn't continue that line. And, and Charlie went out on his own and got some good people to back him and. um, Look at that story, what a success. I mean, yeah, you know, but an amazingly honest man, that man. And it's an amazing place he
0: runs now. Then you moved on just a bit in the dark here. You moved to Elders or did you start your own agency?
1: No, when what happened uh, when CMG was taken over by Tees or purchased by Tees, I came back and I did a little bit of work as a private agent and also marketing Hereford, commercial Hereford cattle, in the eastern Seaboard. And, and um Working with people that, you know, when Hereford had the Hereford Prime brand. Yeah. And so I did a bit of that. And then, um, in that point, I then went on to be Charlie's general manager. Um, I left Charlie's to start up a private agency business. And I always like challenges. So I just, you know, I've got to have a challenge. I can't sit still in regard to, um, achieving things and wanting things. And, and as I said, if I don't have a challenge, I'll go looking for another one. And, um, so I left there and I had my own private business. And then, um, I did a fair bit with topics, um, and also, had an approach from Colliers to set up a rural ag arm, which I actually took up and, and did for a while. And then again, went back and I started my own private agency business where I was selling property and cattle.
0: Uh, Chris, was this about the time you had a couple of accidents, not uncommon around livestock? You had a major yeah, confrontation had, uh, with a large cow, and then you fell off the back of the Toyota, is that right?
1: Well, the first the first one was actually off the back of a Toyota Hilux uh, out on a property between Surat and and St. George, and, um, yeah, unfortunately came out off it and it ran over me and it broke eight ribs, my pelvis and my hip, um, and also my ankle. So it was, um, I had a lot of convalescing about 12 months basically recuperating. And then the 12 months to the day later, I was down on a property between Bollin and, and Kallumala And, um, I'd never actually been hurt with cattle. I mean, I'd been bowled over, but never actually been hurt. And, um, yeah, I had a cow, um, hit right like pectoral and, uh, dropped it down below my belly button. Wow. So there was another six, seven months of getting the use of the arm back, and um, I can't. We still have nine screws in that shoulder.
0: Wow, it's, it's and, not uncommon to have that sort of accident, though, in the bush, is it?
1: No, not not over a length of time. You know, it's a bit like all the driving you do. You, you know, you, yeah. you, you, your numbers or odds keep dropping.
0: I'm on the grill with Chris Todd, who is also retiring, or just about to retire, as, or in fact, just retired. I'm sorry, as head of the Santa Gratuitas Breeders Society. We'll join Chris, and he's moved to the Santos mob after this commercial break. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Shield MH14 protection against ammonia. For rapid protection against MHN and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovershield and RhinoCut, available from your local vet.
1: For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available, subject to approval. Elders, for Australian agriculture.
0: Our guest on The Grill is Chris Todd. He's just retired as the General Manager of the Santa Gratulis Breeders Society. Chris, so one question before the Santa story, and I'm not sure how circumspect you might want to be with your answer here, but here we go. You were once asked, I'm told, to do a case study on how a meatworks might work in Northern Australia. Can you take it from there?
1: Yes, I can. I was asked by another large company to have a look at a... um, Building a, a meatworks or processing plant in, in, uh, Northern, in the Northern Territory. And I remember at the time saying to the CEO of the Times, Look, I think it's uh, probably best thing you don't do it, having had experience in um, running the Catherine Works. And it's tough it, gig. And, you know, the best cattle or fat cattle down around Alice Springs and on the Barclay. And where they were proposing to put this plant was far north of the Northern Territory. And my, my first thing was that, yeah, don't do it. And um, it'll just cost you money. And anyway, they said, no, we want to do it. So I was put in there as a consultant. And um, at the end of doing the consultancy, I still said the same thing do not build it.
0: And they did, but they went ahead and did it, didn't they?
1: They did. They went ahead and did it. And it's in mothballs now. And um, it's in regard to, you just got to look at logistically. You know, if you go back through the 50s and 60s where all the meatworks were, there were a heap of them throughout regional areas of Queensland yeah. and, and um, Northern Territory, and, and none of them have survived. It's a tough gig, meatworks, and um, you've just got so many other factors that you can't control. And, and you know, good luck to the company that did it. I mean, you know, it was just something that I felt that wasn't, and I, I did say to them that if you are going to go ahead with it, the, our, the gentleman that used to run the Captain Works, I said that um, they should contact him if they were, because he's the best man I've ever seen running a processing plant. So um, anyway, it didn't. It, they didn't. They did talk to him, but he didn't. He didn't go forward because he just said the same thing: don't build it. That story is
0: now a $100 million corporate bungle, part of uh, the chequered history of the beef industry in Australia. Chris, now, the Santa Gertrudis Geek, how did this come about?
1: Well, it's Gary, thank you. I, I must admit, I love the breed. I've been, I, it's just a massive animal. And um, I first fell in love when I joined, as I said, back going back to when I joined Dalgitties with Stan Wallace, and I went to a King Ranch sale at Risdon in 1977, and I fell in love with them. I fell in love with the size and the, the power and, and everything of this animal. And um, you know, along the short of it through my agency and processing and feedlotting, I mean, they're an animal always performed and um, they got a bad bad rep in the 70s for being seen as shy breeders. And I know that in the time I was there for the four and a half years as general manager of Sanders, there's been a lot of work in that time from the 70s to now about improving their fertility and um, basically getting into an animal that's totally... Use, usable in the commercial industry. And so oh, short of it, when Russell Reed uh, retired back in 15 years ago, I applied then and I wasn't successful. And then five years ago in April 2019, I saw an ad there for the GM's job and didn't realise that they'd gone through four GM's in about eight years. But um, I applied and I was 60 years of age and I um, I didn't think I'd get it because of my age, but um, I did. And i got to say that uh, in the four and a half years of there, it's been an absolute great uh, thing to work for all the members and promote the breed about how good it is and go to the commercial side of our beef industry.
0: So based on your vast experience across all sectors of the industry, has the role of breed societies changed so much from your early days up until
1: now? I think it's a lot more pressure. I mean, you know, they're all non-for-profit organisations and it's members' money. Utilised to run it, and um, you know, it's uh, while this is not grant out there, it's difficult to get those grants. But it's um, it has changed, I think, a lot from when they first started, and um, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot more demanding because you know there's 42 breeds, I think, that are uh, beef breeds that are registered in Australia. Um, And but I I, I think it's changed, but they're also needed um, in in regard to promoting that breed or whatever that you want to do. It's um, you know, it's it's a personal choice. It's also market driven. And um, one of the reasons why I love the Sanders is that, you know, you get paid a grid is a system where I used to, I call it the snakes and ladders, you know, the old the old child game. Well, there's more snakes in the grid than there's ladders. But if you get a weight for age, it's hitting that Japanese market milk two tooth and it's 300 kilos and the fat's right, you, you hit that sweet spot. Yeah. And Sanders Sanders do that, whether it's a purebred or whether it's crossbred. And that's that was my belief in them and, and, and why. And, and yeah, cause they, they weigh, they've got plenty of weight
0: now is bull breeding uh, bull breeding a more or less attractive business model within the beef industry is it more or less attractive than it has been what's what's happening
1: um, i think in in all instances um most associations they go up and down in regard to membership um, you know there was over 1000 studs in in santa's going back in the 60s and 70s and i mean that number reduced down to about 50 to 60 um 5 years ago um is now about got over three hundred, but it's um, it's something that um, all associations they've got to look at and go to why they're there, and that's supporting the members and um, and growing that, and uh, you know also we'll you've got to do a study about how many bulls can be used and how many you can sell, yeah. relevant to the size of the Australian cow herd. So that's all taken them into into factors about you know how many bulls we can get out there and how many we can sell privately. More and more bull
0: sales, of course, are now online. I think it started with COVID. Is this ongoing or will it go back to the personal uh, touch?
1: No, I think, I think it. you know, anyone that's running a sale, if they're doing a physical sale, should have the online um, you know, offer to people that, you know, can't get there. Um, I think that, you know, my, I'm old school. I mean, you know, the point that I like to see an animal, you know, physically, um, see it walking um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, technology is improving. I mean, I was involved in CALM when it first came out, and look where Auctions Plus and Elite Livestock is right now. It's uh, It's gone to the next level, and we'll continue to do that as, as technology keeps improving. Um, but, yeah, some of the old school at like my age at that point, carriers, they still like to see a bull and get uh, yeah. walking, and, and, and then that's that aspect. But I think it's a key part of our industry going forward. And I think in it's, regard to, the yeah. social
0: uh, aspect is most undervalued as well, isn't it? And recognised, yeah. 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 Uh, Chris, as you're no doubt aware, there's been some extraordinary volatility in bull prices, especially over the last couple of years. Is that healthy or should there maybe some thought given to long-term bull contracts to rein in that volatility? Is that possible or is it all a lay faire market?
1: No, it's 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 yeah. Unfortunately, it can't be locked in or contracted in the point that you know we we had highs of last year in regard to the cattle market. You know, we were cattle were averaging two thousand dollars and this year; they're averaging you know three hundred or, or or less. And um, people have to buy on that market. You know, they you know you're seeing people where they're getting one hundred thousand dollars for consignment of cattle more than they're getting this year. And I mean, they've got to, they've got to take that into account in regard to seed stock. And um, it'd be nice to have some sort of consistency there, but. Also, it's not a cheap business to run, you know, grain extremely dear, and um, get those animals up to presentation. Most of them would owe those growers $5,000 per bull. So if they're, if they're not getting that $5,000, they are losing. And um, and again, it comes back to the whim of the buyer. I mean, we all see things differently and um, it's uh, it's very important. I mean, if the animal structure is correct, and that's one of the best things about the Santa Gertrudis Association is our classification system. I
0: think you're about the only uh, herd... Beef society with a, uh, a herd certification system.
1: Mm, we are, and then, and it, it came out from the states, and it's probably got stronger than when the states first introduced it or King Ranch introduced it to Australia. But it's um, it's an important factor. I mean, that we have two gentlemen running around, you know, Australia basically for the full year, pacifying animals, and once they put that S on that left shoulder, yeah. that's how that's our guarantee of um, of a minimum standard. Animal get out there and work.
0: Pole breeding, uh, Chris. What's the success with the, with the in the sanders?
1: Um, it's actually growing dramatically, Kerry. I mean, I remember when I first started, and um, I emerald the uh, the emerald show was on, and we were feature breed there, and it was in March, early June, two thousand nineteen. And I remember taking all these banners from the office, and uh, we got a you know car park and cellar down the, underneath the office, and um, so I grabbed all these banners and I, I had it up there, all bright-eyed and bushy-tail, and you anyway, know, I get up there and um, I start putting some of these banners up, and one had horns on it. And I remember this fellow, this stud fellow, saying to me, What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm putting this up. He said, well, What are you doing up with that banner? And I said, Well, he said, We don't have horns. We're a pole breed. And I said, Oh, I didn't realise we'd done it. You've got that far. And I thought we were still working on that. And, you know, long and short of it, um, we the, the breed is really, really working on the pole side. And um, there's more and more coming through. Um, and it's, been a, it's got to be a slow build because, you know, you look at the horn pole gene gene, or the gene pool and yeah. compared to the pole side, it's very small. And yeah. you've also got to look at, you know, the Santa Catreras came from one bull, Monkey, yeah. back in Texas in, in 1870. It? So you've got to continue to improve that genetics that, that are delivering, you know, what people are wanting.
0: Do you think there's a sufficient premium for pole bulls these days?
1: A bloody good pole bull will make a lot of money, yeah. and uh, whether it's sand or any other breed. And... Um, we're, we're probably more under the microscope than ever in regard to animal health issues and yeah. um, and making sure that they're treated properly. I've tried to
0: count the number of cattle breeds. You mentioned forty something, didn't you? Uh, I yeah, got to thirty-five. 40. But there are thirty-five breed societies, I think.
1: Now, yeah, no, and some of them are very small. Where yeah. they, you know, like some of the smaller smaller breed societies just rely on uh, ABRI and um, in regard to helping them. And um, but there's forty odd, forty-two, I think it is that are registered through Arcbar. So, yeah, there's there's a variety of choice there, but, again, you've got to find an animal that's suitable to Australian conditions.
0: Is it possible for the beef industry to maybe follow the path of the pork and chicken industries and rationalise into, say, half a dozen societies? Is that possible? It's not that hard, Chris. I I think you
1: look at at pork, you look at sheep, lamb, um, you look at chickens, You've you've got an animal that's pretty consistent you know, when you're slaughtering it, it's not there's not much variance. Where yeah. you look at a beef animal, you've got a lot of variance, and you've got a lot of you know, as I said before, you've got some very big breeds like Sanders, as in weight wise, and then you've got smaller breeds. And again, depending if you're aiming for the veal market or the trade market or the domestic or the uh, export market, it, there's a lot of variance there. Where pork, chicken, and, and lamb yeah. are pretty consistently, you can actually do that. Like if you more and more robo- robotics are coming in, well, you can you can actually use more robotics in regard to those three breeds more so than, than beef because we have such variance in sizes and, you know, different characteristics.
0: So, so in answer yeah. to your question,
1: I think it'll be difficult. I really do, but I, it's, it's a good question, Kerry. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think the breed societies are friends, but I don't think they'd like to be neighbours <laughs> in most cases. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
1: it, it, it's interesting when I first started with the Sanders back in May 2019, I mean, had a Lot of people there that, that you know love Sanders had Santa cows and went out and tried other breeds over them, but the yeah. majority have come back to Sanders because the Santa was delivering what they wanted. So it's again depending on the market you're aiming at and your property and where you're located and things like that, what you're aiming at. So again, the, the grid system is based on weight for age. Yep, now Sanders
0: have uh, always close to the top in stud cattle numbers at most of the shows, certainly at the uh, RNA shows, they've always been close to the top. Uh, a Santa breed is more keen on showing than other breeds.
1: I think there's a lot of pride there in what they do, and and you know there's nothing better than turning up the RNA or or Raz in Sydney and and seeing this massive lineup, these beautiful dark red cattle. Yeah, there's a lot of pride there. Um, COVID knocked us around a fair bit. I remember in 2020 we had 100 and something head for Sydney, and then it's been a slow rebuild down there. Um, the Sanders feature breed in 25 in Sydney, and then um we're feature breed and we're celebrating 75 years well i won't be but um they'll be celebrating 75 years of sanders being in australia at the brisbane rna um in 2027 which will be a world congress also so you know it's um i think there's a lot of pride there um and there's also a lot of competitiveness about being you know two things one having the biggest number on show and the other one is having to have his ball on the ground
0: What's the advantage in showing these days when communication, especially in a visual sense, is so easy? I mean, I can video a bull in a paddock on the downs and send an instant picture to a potential buyer anywhere in Australia. It's uh, is, isn't that Is not that taking over or is it just still part of the equation?
1: No, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, exhibition or Brisbane, you know, um, RNA, the thing is that. The bush people love to come down and celebrate. You know, they work hard, and that that week in, in Brisbane is pretty good. It's pretty special to them, and you know, a lot of people come down actually to look at the the best the best of all breeds that are being shown to see. Well, there's anything there that will come out in that this you know later in the selling season that they might want to buy. So, a lot of a lot of good astute commercial cattlemen come down to have a look at whatever breed they're they're interested in. Um, seeing what's on display and saying, well, you know, I mentioned that, you know. So to me, it's like a pre-inspection of before the sale starts. So plus also getting together and, 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 you know, putting the hair down. I mean, it's uh, I think the the Royal Shows are very important for that, no matter where what state you're in. So there's definitely a lot of people come down and and have a look at, you know, um, what bulls may be coming up in the sale season. So a blue ribbon
0: still means something for Santa breeders?
1: To a degree, um, you know, in the end, being a judge, and I've never judged stud, but I've, I've done a lot of commercial judging. Um, it also comes down to the eye and behold in that regard. So I mean, you've got to respect that, that, that we all see something a little bit different. But the blue ribbon can do that. But you can also see where, you know, the judge has picked a bull out to be the champion, grand champion of that, of that breed. And then it may be kept within its own stud or put up for sale it may not make the most money. It may be the one that was allocated the third or second made more money, but again, it comes back to, you know, personal choice. But, um, yeah, it has, it does create, you know, that you can put up there that this bull came second in Sydney or first in Sydney or second in prison or whatever, first in prison. So I think it plays a fair part in regard to, um, um, helping sell the bulls.
0: Any thoughts on the future trends for breed societies?
1: I think that they've got to look at staying ahead of the game and, uh, you know, you've got to have councils on board that that want to do that and and um, actively help their members grow and and look at what they can do to keep improving because um, it's competitive and it's tough out there. And uh, if they don't keep ahead of the game, then they'll fall by the wayside. Chris Todd just about to
0: put the feet up after a long and distinguished career in agribusiness. Good luck, Chris. Safe travels, and thanks for telling your story on the grill for Beef Central.
1: Thank you, Kerry. Appreciate it. You all the best to yourself too.
0: And thank you for joining us until next time. I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinergard by Zoetis.